there's two Samoyeds barking right now. So if you hear those uh, in the background, uh, they're very good. They're very good dogs. They're just loud. Uh, in this episode, I'm talking to Liz Bradfield. Um, Liz Bradfield is a real working, teaching poet and naturalist and artist out in the world. But in my world, she's is and she was a mentor. And in the classes she taught and the conversations we had outside of them, I learned the importance of surprise in writing, the rigor of workshopping poems. And uh, I really gained an admiration for her ability to be so convicted of her thoughts and ideas without ever being imposing with them. Um, I didn't know you could do that. And uh, I want to hold ideas the way Liz Bradfield does one day in my own way. Okay, I think we're good. How's that? Yeah, that looks about right. Okay. I have to judge things by like the sound, the the signature they make on the yeah. uh, recording device. You don't put headphones in. I can, but what I've found is that it distracts. Yeah. Because you can hear yourself. Yeah. So it's good if you have more than two people. Yeah. But when you have two people, you instinctively know not to interrupt each other too much. Right. When there's more than two, you start hearing that everyone's interrupting each other. Yeah. And then it becomes obvious that you're making a mistake. And in that Got case, it. it's great because it tell you learn to kind of shut up a little bit. Yeah. Because when you're when you're having one of those hubbub conversations, you're like, <laughs> yeah. "This is great. This is great." And then yeah. when you're not having, and then when you're tr- listening to it, you're like, "I can't understand." There's no thing. way to understand anybody yeah. talking. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I Pleasure. was very excited to speak to you. Um, and obviously, we've just been speaking for the whole time i was like well i'll set up and we'll get started in a few minutes and i was like nope i'm just gonna let it run yeah until i until we both agree that it's a good time to start recording things yeah um but i thought i would start by asking you how did you come upon mary ruffle's work oh gosh because i love mary ruffle obviously people listening don't know that but i know or nobody listening doesn't know that but (laughs) I don't, you know, I've known of her work for a long time, and Mary Ruffel, I hope you're not listening, but I haven't read her deeply to this day, but mm-hmm. uh, I was, yeah, I was at the Friday Harbor Marine Lab, which is out on Orcas Island in the San Juan Islands um, of the Pacific Northwest, and I was there for a poetry and science weekend a number of years ago, and one of the other poets there, I think it was Rachel Kessler, had Madness, Rack, and Honey. And I just, I loved her mind on the page. I loved the leaps that she took. I, I also remembered, I remembered hearing about her, you know, refusal to have a cell phone or be on email or even um, travel by anything but bus, I believe, when I was um, at the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown and yeah. she was coming down to give a reading there. And uh, that, of course, is fascinating. Yeah, just des- deciding not to take part in like massive communication yeah. bedrock that everyone is kind of a part of. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and then I also, I, I've been really interested in her erasures as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which are sort of one-offs. Like the actual copy is a one-off. Right. There's been some really great larger exhibitions of her work. I know Mark mm -hmm. Wunderlich did one at Bennington College, and um, I haven't seen them in person, but I've looked at them online. And Me too. They're gorgeous. They're they are really gorgeous. gorgeous. Yeah. And her decomposition book. I love that too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the erasure specifically, one thing that struck me was how willing she was to go almost a whole page with one and just choose one word. Yeah. Because when I had tried erasures in the past, I felt the need to like choose the best words, even in a line and make it all come together. But so ruthless. Yeah. And confident in, in being that decisive with the words she chose. Yeah. Well, I think it gives you a lot more freedom to find an alternate text within the entirety of the text if you're just picking out a couple words a page. You know what I mean? You're not tempted yeah. to fall into the linguistic patterns or the thought patterns of the previous text at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that she does it on a real book. Yeah. It's a real book that she, I assume, bought, but maybe just acquired somehow and is by most standards destroying you know just yeah. kind of like scratching out huge just sharpying her way through the whole book yeah i remember there was one page on the i think the most recent one and the only word she chose was god uh-huh it was capital g god uh -huh. but everything else on the page was gone and even just the image i think of having everything erased but that word yeah was so great in a way that it's different when something like in a redacted document from the government it's different when you didn't just have was the word. erasure done in black or in white because when i think of her erasures i so many of them are done with white i actually don't know that's a great yeah. question i my memory tells me black but i've learned that you can remember things really poorly yeah you can yeah <laughs> um but yeah i remember it being black um but even if it was white you know just having one word stand out on a page that you know is covered in them mm -hmm. um although it makes such a difference right how that word stands out or doesn't yeah you know is it the lightness of it or is it the darkness of it that's important? Yeah. Yeah. And that word specifically has been, well, when I grew up reading and writing poetry, you wanted to be careful with a word like God in your writing mm -hmm. because it was too easy to make writing into a poem by invoking God a little bit too much mm. or by, I don't want to say using it lazily, but... Well, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but just if you said like, um, um, and, and, and my body is my God or something like that, mm -hmm. you, you're invoking a profundity that doesn't, that you don't get to take credit for, you know? Well, you don't want to aggrandize yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but there are certain words like that where you use them and they, if you're not careful, they dominate kind of every every piece of what you're writing. Oh, they kidnap the poem. That's yeah. such a great way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah, they kidnap the poem for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was that lesson when I was first taught specifically the phrase kill your darlings mm -hmm. in poetry was a real turning point for me as a writer. Yeah. Because I used to love darlings. All I would do is write darlings. <laughs> and then someone had to tell me, mm -mm, well, you, you can't have to keep write all them. of them. You have to write them. Yeah, you yeah, have yeah. To then 
weed them. <laughs> yeah. I have a memory of you in one of our workshops saying, um, this is too cute. And then just <laughs> scratching out like lines of, I don't, I, it was not my poem, but it was somebody else's poem. And you're like, this is too cute and I don't like it. And everyone in the cr- class disagreed with you because they, I don't know that they had been told the Kill Your Darlings things before, but they were like, but it's so great. Like, I love that line. And you were like, no, it's cute. I don't like cute thing. No, it's not that I don't like cute. That's not fair. I mean, (laughs) I like cute as much as the next person, but in a poem, if it's only cute and if it's not, if it's not doing any other kind of work, if there's no shadow underneath the cute or shade to the cute or nuance to the cute, then who cares? I mean, it's really the big, so what, you know, so what, so it's precious. So it's darling. So what? Why do I care? Right. How often do those? That brings me onto something. I'm, we're about to skip very far away from. All right, from I'm poems. ready. Um, do you have a Twitter? Oh, I just shut it down. You just shut it down. Yeah. You not. What, did you make a conscious decision, or were you already not using it? I the whole Elon Musk takeover. Bye bye. You were I'm just done. you let it go after that. Yeah, I wasn't on it very much anyway. Mm-hmm. I I mean I tend toward. Instagram a little bit more. Twitter, I would go over there and kind of look and not really understand the obsession. You know, yeah. I just, I I know there's a lot of poets over there and I got some good poetry gossip over there, but yeah, I just I've wasn't interested in hanging out over there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I never had a Twitter, but uh, Chen Chen, who is someone we both know and who used who I've taken a few courses with yeah. in the past. He um, loves it. He loves poetry Twitter and yeah. he loves like the gossip side of poetry oh, yeah. Twitter specifically and getting to he's like, I learned so much and there's so much, you know, going around all the time. Um but the thing that I appreciated when I found a nice tweet was sometimes that it was cute. <laughs> and then I would but if that those lines had been in a poem, I would disqualify them. Mm. And, uh, and I had been thinking about that a lot recently just because um, I saw I saw a tweet that was quoting Mary Rufel, mm. but I didn't recognize at first that it was a line from Mary Rufel's work. Yeah. It was from Madness, Rack, and Honey, um, which is probably my favorite book right now. Um, and despite having read it a while ago, but... I read it and I was like, oh, this is so come on, you know, I I get. okay, sure. You know, and then I realized it was an excerpt from (laughs) I think it was from the My Emily Dickinson, Mm. um, which is one of the best sections of that work, in my opinion. Um, And then uh, as soon as I recognized it, I was like, oh, wait, but I know how this fits in and I get that there's so much thought before it and that there's intention there and just how valuable that intention is with words in a way that the brevity of tweets sort of takes away. Mm-hmm. And I, the, the long story, the, the short version of this long story was just that um, reading things, even if they are the same on the internet or on social media feels very different for me than reading them in the book. Um, well, context is everything, yeah. right? And you approach reading different things tweets versus poems versus essays versus news articles with a whole different 
set of expectations. And I think it really colors what you read. I mean, that you could read Mary Rufel in her book and be like, oh, this is so amazing and profound. And then you see it on Twitter, you're like, eh. I mean, part of that is that you don't have, as you say, the buildup and you don't have the context. But yeah. part of it is that the whole armature of the setting um, just recalibrates your approach, you know? Mm-hmm. The material is the message as much as the message itself. Yeah. Do you ever lose faith in that because you encounter something outside of its context and no longer find it profound? And no, I'm just fascinated by it. I mean, I think I'm also, I'm really fascinated by when materiality matters, when it really matters, the, when the physical form of something matters, when the the evidence of the hand or of a maker really matters. And what happens when you erase the evidence of a hand or a maker, like all of those bots on Twitter, you know, right. like the Ann Carson bot. And sure. I'm sure that there's a Mary Rufel bot. Um, you, there's there. I would love there to be one. There though. must be. Yeah. There must be. I'd kind of be all right with it. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of charming that there is, but that's not how I want to read no, no. Ann Carson. And it's not how I want to read Mary Rufel. Of course. Because I want, I think, to leap over to Ann Carson, I mean, what I enjoy is the wandering through and discover the, discovering these moments that are so shocking, beautiful, tender, horrible, but the, the path toward it is as important as the right. moment. Right. I think someone told me when I was much younger, um, part of a poem, I think they said it as like, um, part of what makes a poem a poem is that it cannot be summarized in any other form other than itself. Yeah. Which is to say, like, you could, right, you could take it apart. You can tell me what this poem means. Right. But that's not the same thing as reading the poem. Right. Um, and that little, whatever that magic dance is or that top of your head coming off thing that happens when you read a poem or when you encounter, I guess for other people, when they encounter different forms of art, um, I think about all the time just what is that? I don't What's happening? You know, how does it work? How, why is it happening there and not happening on the Twitter or not happening on the Twitter? Well, and I think the question is, if you could answer that question, would you still write poems? Oh. <laughs> you know? I don't know if I was ready for that question. Well, and I don't yeah. know if it's a serious question, but I think the fact that it is inexplicable is the beauty of it. Right. You know? Yeah. Did you have someone who specifically got you into poetry when you were younger and started writing? Or was it something you did on your own? I kind of did it on my own. I mean, I um, in high school, um, I had a lot of feelings. And I was allowed to feel them in poetry. And I wasn't allowed to feel them mm -hmm. in company. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, w I, you know, I would read Sylvia Plath and that overwhelming almost histrionic feelingness what does that word mean what does histrionic mean uh full of hysterics oh overblown okay. almost mm -hmm. you know dramatic mm -hmm. um operatic <laughs> over the top um that wasn't the way that you were supposed to behave you know big air quotes around that sure but 
that's what we go to Sylvia Plath for. Yeah. You know, not in all of her poems, but mm-hmm. in the in Daddy and um, the poems that I gravitated toward mm-hmm. as a high schooler. And so that was really a lifesaver for me. And then I loved in high school reading Coleridge because I loved his mysticism and I loved his weird, dark, you know, almost gothic sensibility and his kind of yearning toward the occult, the supernatural. I loved T.S. Eliot, partly because it made me feel real smart and grown up yeah. to read T.S. Eliot, yeah. you know? I still um, can't read T.S. Eliot. <laughs> I, I, there, I, I really love Proof Rock. I love that poem, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? Um, but, and so they were my teachers in high school. It wasn't a person who was living. It was those books. And they were so necessary to me for these various reasons. But um, as a freshman at the University of Oregon in Eugene, I took a poetry workshop. And it was taught by one of the MFA candidates there. Um, her name was Shelley Shelley Withrop. And she was from Texas. And she had this way of saying poem, poem. You know, not poem. But yeah. The poem, the poem. And it was so magical to me. I was totally in love with her. Not in a real romantic way, but she just seemed like a being from another planet. Mm-hmm. And she was so passionate about poetry. And she brought in recordings of Gwendolyn Brooks reading her poems aloud. Yeah. And she talked about revision and really um, turned me on to revision as a creative act and that for me that modeling of how to be engaged with craft with voice with revision that's when it really got exciting for me because um then it became both that outlet and that expression and the mystery and the the emotion of poetry that was true in high school and still is but then also the thinking right the yeah. crafting the building yeah. the um the moving of parts i always think of it and i've probably said this in class but you know it became like tetris and i love tetris as yes. a kid you know you drop oh, all those little shapes down and they it. click into each other and then the the form is filled and it's satisfying and it's whole and you win and that's what revision kind of felt like to me yeah <laughs> oh that's such a great and though yes yeah that makes sense it's great how things can make sense across people. Yeah. I don't know. I think that understanding general is generally is such a miracle and understanding of metaphors when someone else gives you one. Yeah. Uh, sorry, small thing, but just I, I admire that about humans. Um, Especially when it's not only like, oh, I understand that metaphor, but oh, I feel that metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. You did the, we, our brains did the same dance. Yeah. Yeah, they were, and that's great. Yeah. Um, But with, that's actually, I like that you, talked about them in terms of sort of being role models because um i never learned a, I don't, again i i'm trying i want to be charitable but then i also want to be honest and i don't think i learned a lot about how to grow up and like compose myself as a human being from the poets i read i learned a lot about the world and i learned a lot about writing and thinking and 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 just paying attention you mean in high school? No, generally. Mm. I don't know that I ever learned in a in a practical sense like how to in, how to 
how to take care of somebody or how to mm. be a good friend or how to um, write a good essay. You know, there's just these tips of how you become yourself and the little things that um, you you get involved in to create your own identity. Mm. I don't know that I ever learned from those poets and also because I felt when I was reading them that I could never trust the poet to be a role model. I could only ever trust the poems they wrote. Like I could learn something from the poems and I was obviously I was taught as from a literary analysis angle to not connect the speaker and the writer all the time. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I always had this small distrust of poets, I guess, because mm -hmm. they were, I trusted their poems. I trusted what they wrote, but then yeah. I felt that I could never trust them as people or model my life after how they lived because it seemed like a lot of the time they were they would hurt themselves or they would be destructive mm. and i didn't know i didn't always know how to learn from them as a person i knew how to learn from them in the craft but i didn't always learn how to be a person did you I don't learn no but think about i mean i i think let's forget about you know sylvia plath and t.s Eliot and sure all those problematic <laughs> humans but i think about poets like Sharon Olds. Mm -hmm. Yes. And her work is so much about plumbing taboo and everyday experience and radical honesty, for lack of a better phrase. And mm -hmm. I would like to learn from her as a person as well as a poet. I mean, I think her craft is amazing, but yeah. I think her kind of re relentless pursuit of clarity. Clarity, yes. Um, no matter the cost, I and I've heard her speak a few times, and I think she's she's a pretty remarkable human. Mm -hmm. I would learn from her. I would yeah. learn from Jane Hirschfield. I would learn from, oh hell, you know. I mean, I would learn from. They're they're the poets that are my friends that I learn from. You right, know? right. Um, so they don't count. But I'm talking about the elders. Yes. Um. I, I learned from Linda Beards how to engage consistently and fully as a poet. I mean, she just does the work and her poems are exquisite. Yeah. You know, and there's no, there's no politicking and there's no games. She just does the work. Right. She's amazing. Yeah. That's a great point because one thing, I think we spoke about this and I know in the last, uh, my my last and only remarks I've ever given at Brandeis. <laughs> um, one of the things I said was just this idea of um, there's just the next draft. Like there's just the work you do. Mm -hmm. um, for me as a meditation almost on your ability to control how things go. Because as a writer, it can often seem like you don't control a lot. You're waiting for some muse to talk to you and get it right. And, mm -hmm. Or you're waiting to be accepted by, um, you know, whatever journal you submitted to or there's just a, a lot of that feels like it's out of your hands. Um, even if you do very well or you feel that you're very capable. And I know that I have um, friends in the world of writing who are, who are poets um, who have this question of, do I have it? Mm. Do I have the, the duende, the sauce, the, it, yeah. the stuff that makes yeah. that the, that that the greats have, right? Mm -hmm. That they, their angles, their perspective, their unique ability to 
put words together in a surprising fashion over and over and over and just right. be good. Do you ever, do you have an answer for that? Like, do you, do you, do you ever question your, your own self as like, do I have it or do you just think it's work and drafts and you just keep doing it and you get better? I think I've definitely asked myself that question, but mm-hmm. I think it's a damaging question. I, th- just this last weekend, I was down visiting friends in New York. I was visiting my friend Miller Oberman and his family, and I was waiting for him to come home for work from work. I was waiting in his backyard for him to come home from work I had trained in. And um, I was reading this book of poems, and it was blowing my mind. And I had been on a dry spell and not reading books that had just blown my mind. And I was just like, oh, my God, this whole book is a study in the art of enjambment. And the poems were clear and powerful. And it was a poet who I flipped over and I read the bio and they had serious accolades, like great Mm -hmm. publications, et cetera. And I had not read their work before. I didn't register their name. They were a contemporary poet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is a second book. Probably someone in their 40s, mid to late 40s, Sure, I would assume, but I don't really know. Um, and when Miller walked into the yard, I held up the book. I was like, oh, my God, do you know this book? And he's like, yes. And so we were talking about it and so excited. And, um, and I was like, you know, I should write to this poet because um, I don't do that enough. And yeah. this is really moving to me. I think these are amazing poems. And so I did. And. Uh, found found their email online and wrote to them and just said how much I admired the book. I'm deliberately not using names because sure. I think it gets weird, right? But um, they they wrote back and said thank you and said, you know, it's been a really hard time for me recently as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in a lot of doubt about my work. And it just reminded me, because this isn't a writer who's kind of on the on everyone's lips. Yeah. Right? Right. This isn't... Uh, all the writers you can name that feel like they get a lot of airtime and are held up again and again mm-hmm. as contemporary voices uh, who are so deserving. You know, Ada Lamone, so deserving. Ocean yeah. Vong, so deserving. But there are all of these other amazing writers that for whatever reason, the lack of skill of their publicist, some kind of aligning of the stars, who knows what, just doesn't get the airtime but their work is so phenomenal mm-hmm. and it's a so this is a long way of saying it was a reminder to myself to just step back from that external yeah desire for accolades because yes. maybe I'm doing the work maybe I'm not maybe it's good maybe it's not but external validation isn't going to tell me it's just not I just need to pursue that for the sake of the pure joy when it feels like those Tetris pieces click together. Yeah. And that's a great feeling, um, which I felt rarely, but maybe everyone's felt it rarely, but it's nice. It's very, someone said that success is a combination of relief and actual joy. (laughs) And I think there is a little bit of relief in when something like that comes together for me. Yeah. It's just watching. Uh, finally, the word came or yeah. this was really a two line poem. I thought it was a 15 line poem, you right. know, and, and it, there's a relief of finding it or yeah. it being given to you, I guess. I don't know. I don't yeah. really, I really don't know where these ideas come from, for me, at least. Some people, 
I've met a few people who can really explain where they got their ideas from. Yeah. And these are weird people to me <laughs> because I, I could not tell you most of the thoughts I have. I cannot tell you. Or, I mean, in a creative sense, most of the thoughts I have, I don't exactly know where I got them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's not odd. I know everyone there's mm-hmm. that's thousands of years old, this idea of the muse. But yeah, no, I think when I think about poetic investigations that I want to begin I get excited because I don't know what I'm going to figure out. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm going to find. And I want to know. I want to know what's around the corner. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Is there... So how long have you been teaching college people? College people? <laughs> uh, let's see. I finished my MFA in 2005. I took a long time between undergraduate and graduate school. Mm-hmm. And then I was at Stanford on a Stegner Fellowship for a couple of years. And I did some teaching while I was there, mentoring. Mm-hmm. And then I came home and was living my life, you know, working, um, doing website design, doing naturalist guiding kind of work. I started teaching in the low residency program for an MFA program, actually for the University of Alaska Anchorage um, and then I took a walk with a friend of mine and she said, oh, you should apply for this visiting writer in residence gig at Brandeis. And I was like, really? All right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of how I ended up here. Oh, wow. What? So this is, that's what I want to do. Um, aside, I told you about buying a house and I told yeah. you about the work I'm doing right now, but, uh, my goal for a long time has been to be, I want to teach English. I'd mm-hmm. like to do it at a high school level because that's when I was most impacted by it. So yeah. I feel like I can, I, what I know is where I go. I think in this case, at least yeah. I want to, that's where I feel like I can make an impact. Um, especially as a male in the world of poems in the world of, um, who's also equally in love with sports and cars. And just, I feel like I'm able to bridge gaps that I haven't always seen bridged, especially mm-hmm. growing up. Um, so that's what I want to teach one day. And something I've always, one thing I asked Professor Burt um, towards the end, and I, I, I feel bad that he didn't get to fully answer the question, but um, I was just like, what does satisfaction mean when you're teaching poems? Mm. Do you have an idea of like what a good day of teaching was or what it feels like or what it means or what it entails? Yeah, when students get excited, that's a good day of teaching. Yeah. When like the conversation starts happening and people are interrupting each other and they're eager to jump in or you see like the, oh, I just realized, understood, caught hold of something or someone, some path opens that a student didn't see before. Those are the good days of teaching. Yeah. 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 I love, I loved being a student for those moments. Those are the moments that are... Um, Sometimes I think people, teachers who teach poetry bring in a poem they love and they're just bringing it because they love it. And they, oh, yeah. and people, and I, I've experienced a few times where they brought in a poem, um, whoever was a professor or a teacher back in high school and they would, uh, teach it. And you would, those of us who liked writing would know that this wasn't really part of the curriculum. This was mm-hmm. just like, they love this poem and they don't want to tell everyone you're only learning this because I love it. But that, that's why it was there. Gosh, though, though, don't you wish they would say that? I wish because they did. Because demonstrating that love of a poem, I think, is 
as important as teaching it. Yeah. Like being able to say, I just want to share this with you because I love it. Yeah. I think that's really valuable. Yeah. And I think you did once, um, I think it's a K. Ryan poem. Um, yeah, Tree Heart, True Heart. Tree Heart, True Heart. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were just, and you were very transparent about. I just love this poem. It oh, I love like, that poem. Yeah. There are a few poems that every time I read them aloud, not when I read them silently, but when I read them to other people, I just I can't help it. They make me cry. Yeah. You know, they just they get me. And yeah, maybe it's vulnerable to share that kind of thing, but. Man, those are the best poems. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When they work. When they work yeah. on you, I guess. And it's obvious to everyone that they've worked on you. Yeah. And um, they're not going to work on everybody, right? No, but yeah. I think we're all seeking those poems that just strike us to the core. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's... I don't know, it's like fi it's like looking at something and then just... Mm. For me, sometimes it's like looking and seeing a reflection. And, and, and it's not a mirror. It's a yeah. poem, you know, and you're just like, oh, that's, m you're telling me something. You're talking to me. And you didn't know you were doing it, but mm -hmm. this is, this is definitely talking to me. And mm -hmm. no matter how many people are in the room, you're sort of sure that it's speaking to you. Yeah. Um, it's a very unique feeling. Yeah. I have friends who don't do art in any capacity. Yeah, me I, too. And I don't understand them. <laughs> I, I really don't understand them uh, because they, I don't know if they don't have that feeling or if they have it for something else. But Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, it just feels so essential to me. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine that that's not expressed in some way, shape or form in everybody, whether it's mm -hmm. cooking or building things or I, who knows what, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you care about memorizing poems? I was just thinking about that tree heart, true heart poem and thinking, gosh, do I know that poem by heart? Mm -hmm. You know, the hearts of trees are serial, serially displaced, pressed outward annually in a ring. Mm -mm, they don't give, the hearts of trees are true. I say no more springs without you. I, I missed a little in the middle. Um, I think memorizing poems is really valuable. I have a few poems that I've memorized, not as many as I should have. Mm -hmm. um, I like to write them out. Usually they're shorter poems, right? I like to write them out on index cards and I kind of, they're at home right now, but usually I keep a little stack of them in my bag yeah. and go back and look at them and refresh them. And just, I like to touch them. They're poems that I love, Yeah, you know? Um, I think it's valuable if only for the, meditative time you spend on that poem how the poem first you read the poem appreciate the poem figure out what it's about then you start then it starts to become abstract because you're just focusing on sounds and one word and the other and you kind of lose the meaning and then and then something else clicks into gear you know I think there are these levels of memorization mm -hmm. where you you're holding the wholeness of the poem in yeah. a way that you wouldn't if you're just reading it and that's a really different relationship. Plus, I love having lines of poetry kind of kick around as I'm moving through the world, you know. Whenever I'm out in icy places and I see um, floating ice, an iceberg, I always think about Elizabeth Bishop. You know, I always think about her poem, The Imaginary Iceberg, which starts off 
you know, we'd rather have the iceberg than the ship, although it meant the end of travel, which is such a funny beginning to a poem. Yeah. And whenever I'm at the beach and there are the little little peeps, you know, little sanderlings, sandpipers running along the edge, I always think, well, it's uh, it's a Elizabeth Bishop again, uh, the the roaring alongside he took for granted, um, just of that yeah. little ocean and. Yeah, there are a lot of lines that rattle in my head. I don't have whole poems, but mm-hmm. I have these little hooks. Um, and they expand they expand the things that I'm experiencing into um, that deeper possibility of metaphor making, of understanding, and they also stitch them back in time. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. thinking about thinking about her again because I saw that bird <laughs> again, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Is um, so every poem I've written while I've known you, except for, actually, we did an exercise at the beginning of some of our classes where we would write. It was like, I, I think you said, draw yourself if you were like Batman or a right. seal or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then write a poem. You yeah. Know. Um, but almost everything I've written in the last five years was typed, mm. not written. Um, That's bad. Thanks. So <laughs> what, <laughs> do you have... Do you meditate? Do you write your poems or do you by type hand? Them? Yeah, always by hand. Always by hand. Yeah. Do you I, think that's a lost? That's that's some valuable. Some something valuable is being lost by not doing that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I really do, um, and science proves it. Yeah, yeah, um, of course it does. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But but I think, I mean, who knows? Will that change over time as people's minds shift? Maybe. But for me, I love the feeling of a notebook in my lap. You know, I love the feeling of the page, the computer typing has become so much about email that I see. I can't be at the computer without checking my email. Mm. I know I should, but I can't. Um, and that becomes like doing something right. where the act of writing a poem is kind of the opposite of doing, right? which I love about poetry. And so, yeah, I, I really, I really like the mess of writing, I like that my scrawls and erasures are visible on the page. Mm-hmm. The hesitations, I yeah. like that I can tell what mood I was in by the state of my handwriting. You know what I mean? There's so much that's erased with typing and drafts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I then I go to the computer, right? And then that's the start of revision. Oh, right, for because me. you have your draft system. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. I it, adopted it, and it's. Does it work for you? It does, but it takes up a lot of space. But it's all it's all inside of itself, I yeah. guess. So it's not like it but you it's weird. It's like a tree sort of, you know, you click on one thing and then it's two and then four mm-hmm. and eight. And, um, Wait, are you using separate documents or single documents? I use a single document. Yes. But I use um, separate documents if I make a significant change. So if I make oh, a significant change. Oh, I just change, use one document per Yeah, poem. you just scroll down. Yeah, I just scroll. Yeah. So it doesn't take up that much space. Yeah, so I've, I've modified it by adding, if I really make a big change and it's now a new, in my mind, a new poem. Oh, yeah. Um, then I will, I'll give it a whole new page yeah. and just be like, here you go. We'll try yeah. You get your own space. Yeah. Um, well, but you do you do some really significant revisions. Your poems become really different. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah, actually, because I'm not a student anymore. Um, so I spent the summer um, working for the most part, and I didn't. I actually didn't really read during the summer. Um, not consciously, just mm-hmm. I was busy. I was genuinely busy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then I came back to it and I read Mary Ruffles, My Private Property, mm-hmm. um, which I really enjoyed. I bought, I accidentally bought three copies, <laughs> um, which was fine. I ended up, gi- I'm giving two away to friends as gifts. Yeah. Um, and it's such a great gift. So I'm excited to give them away. Um, but I came back to that. And I think reading that little book is part of why we're holding mics right now. Oh, really? Because it was, yeah, I mean... The idea had popped in before, but just, um, and we spoke about this off mic, but uh, I spent months not thinking like that. I graduated, and I think I sent this in my email as well, but I graduated having, I think, told you, you know, I think I'm going to take a break from this for a while. And as soon as I took a break from it, um, for real time, which for me is only months, but real time, Mm -hmm. I immediately realized I was not ready to stop learning things. I wasn't ready to stop being a student of this work and um, having the excuse that studenthood gives you to just care about something Mm. and devote time to it. Mm -hmm. And yes, I have to write a paper about it, but also I'm just devoting time to it. Mm -hmm. And the idea that now I could still write, I mean, it was a weird thought, but I was like, I can still write a paper. I just don't want to turn it into, you know, you just write it for yourself now. Um, or it becomes an essay for lit hub. Yeah. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. I have a, I have a great idea for an essay <laughs> that I, I'm, but I, I don't have the time, but I, I'll make the time. Um, but yeah, reading her book was reading that book and coming back to it was important because it was sort of a, uh, punch in the face. Mm. That's not the right way to use that That's phrase. Not very what nice. is it? it was a kick in the gut. Yeah, kick in the gut. Is that the right violent I'm not phrase? Sure, that seems very know. violent. No, but it was a, <laughs> it was a realization. It was mm-hmm. a beam of light. Um, it was a beam of light that I have to think this way. Mm-hmm. I have to spend time thinking this way, talking mm-hmm. to people who think about and care about these things. Yeah. And if I don't, my soul will die. Like yeah. I will, something will really die. And I remember talking to my friends, um, who had in high school been artistic in one way or another and had shown like skill in that field and then ended up doing i have one friend who does like biomedical engineering Mm -hmm. and does not write or paint or draw or take photographs Mm -hmm. which was their thing like they used to and i'm very sad about it internally because i'm like no 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 you're really good at that and and it's part of what makes you interesting and part of what makes part of why i like talking to you and part of part of your identity that will never be categorized by your employment right. and that will be valuable to everyone who cares about you for who you are right outside of your abilities um not well outside of your employable abilities right um, outside of your cv yeah yeah and i watched a lot of my friends give those things up over mm-hmm. time and i realized i was about to do the same thing mm. and i was like oh i can't i can't i have to i have to turn back and even if I end up spending more time on this than I do at work and it ends up being obvious and then I end up getting fired. Like I'd much rather, <laughs> I'd much rather take that risk because at some level it's not a part of myself I'm willing to lose. Right. And I thought it, I thought it was a part of myself I was willing to put away for yeah. a while. I don't know why I thought that, hmm. but uh, it's not, you know, it's something Good. I just have to keep. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, but it does mean reaching back in time a little bit to Mm -hmm. people like you who I was like, who who were guiding figures Mm. um, or in your case, like the guiding figure for how I wrote here. And, um, and uh, 
I don't, I, I guess it's obviously it wasn't a tone of my email or anything at all, but internally it was less, it was like, I, I pray that these people say yes to me because <laughs> I, I don't have anybody, I don't have anybody left to go back to because I disconnected myself thinking that was the right thing to do. And then I was right. like, wait, I'll, no, 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 I need to go back. I need, yeah. I should have, I should have stayed, you yeah. know? Um, and that's why I came back to see Portia do, um, her reading. Wasn't that a great reading? It was a great reading. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, now I'm just like, now obviously I need to make $330,000 a year for three years <laughs> to buy a house. Um, but after I'm done doing that, it's, I don't know. It just became obvious that, oh, this is my, this is my world. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't pretend it isn't in little ways or big ones. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, I bet those people who gave up those parts of themselves, I mean, I think we, you know, we go on the pendulum, right? Sure. You know, um, and sometimes, especially when you're starting out on your career, you've got to throw yourself into it because that's interesting too. But man, that pendulum swims, swings back and you're like, oh, wait. And then it becomes a hobby, right? I need mm -hmm. to have this other thing outside of my work mm -hmm. that makes me feel alive, whether it's bird watching or art yeah. or uh, motorcycles or whatever it is. Right. You know what I mean? But that other thing that feels like it's done for pleasure and for self-satisfaction and for joy and just because, you know, with no kind of material careerist planning. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I hope everyone's pendulum swings back a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that they, not even just artists who I cared about as artists, but also people in any field who have, uh, who move away from their hobby mm -hmm. quote unquote or um their little niche joy mm -hmm. and then yeah. for you know for one reason or another legitimate reasons yeah but um i hope they all swing back i hope so too yeah maybe it swings you know maybe that it shifts into something else right maybe it's family or maybe it's yeah who knows what but. for me though it was always a little bit of a community yeah. Not not a little bit. It was always the people I wanted to talk to. Yeah. I didn't want to talk to people who didn't care. You right. know, I and I I do have friends who don't care, but they were friends. Most of them were friends before either of us had figured out what we what our little thing was. Maybe yeah. Since we were like six or seven, you know, yeah. so it's very old friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just, these are the type of people I want to talk to, the type of people I want to hang around, the types of people whose ideas I care mm -hmm. to indulge in. Yeah. Even if those are the types of people who, when I disagree with them, I actually do care what they say because they're, yeah. they love something the way I love something. So they must, you know. Yeah. And the engagement with people like that, it's just pure joy, right? I mean, it's all, it's all energy. It's their passion fuels your passion and their weird quirks inspire you to honor your weird quirks. And just visiting with friends last weekend, friends um, that live on the other side of the country out in Oregon and mm -hmm. who I don't get to see very often. And we're in the same room and suddenly the ideas are flying around. And it's like, oh, I missed this. Mm -hmm. You know, I missed this exchange, this 
enthusiasm, this passion, this goofiness, and and seeing their vitality and the vitality that springs forth when we're together just makes me want to live better. We need those people. Yeah. Yeah. Even just, yeah, I think also when right now while I'm still, I still feel like I'm growing up a lot and I guess I still am, but like there's people who give you license to be yourself are very important. Oh yeah. And uh, I don't think they ever stop being important, but especially now they're very important for me. Just, um, I, I used to write on my shoes all the time Mm -hmm. and I stopped Mm -hmm. because I started buying, I I really like shoes. So I started buying (laughs) shoes that I like and just being like, well, these are nice because they're nice and other people will know they're nice because they're nice. And so I shouldn't write on them. Yeah. Um, and that stopped me from writing on my shoes from the time I was like 14 to like two weeks ago. Mm. And then I watched a video by the guy Van Neistat, who I had mentioned earlier. And um, he, one of his things is he customizes basically everything he owns. So mm-hmm. if it's metal, he has a metal engraver. Almost everything else, he has a wood engraver that he'll use for and he's built everything, right? So he built his own desk and he engraved it. And his, yeah. his Swiss Army knives, he engraves with the metal <laughs> yeah. engraver. Um, and he writes on his shoes. Mm-hmm. And then... I wrote on my shoes again. I noticed that actually. I was like, is that part of the shoe or did you write on that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the the license to do that again, to be myself mm-hmm. again in that little way, which is like, these are brand new shoes. Mm-hmm. But to just immediately, I want to write on them. I want yeah. to write these things on them. Yeah. Um, and uh, I expected it to feel like I'm me again. But it, what it actually felt like was... Um, as I said before, like reaching into the past and grabbing something that I thought was gone and yeah. just being like, oh no, I can bring this with me, yeah. you know, and you get to carry it with yeah. you and, uh, you don't have to, you don't have to give it all up. And that's a nice, that's such a relief actually Good. growing up, just being like, oh, you don't have to give everything up to mm-hmm. be an adult. You, you mm-hmm. just, you can just keep things, you know, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So trying to think what my equivalent of writing on my shoes would be mm. i don't know i don't have a great idea right now it's okay <laughs> but yeah anyway i think i should probably let things wrap up getting like kind of late but uh i really appreciate you allowing me to do this and oh, spending it's time fun. with me it's really nice yeah it's great yeah and it's really fun for me to see where students go after graduation you know what i mean especially students who I've worked closely with, mm-hmm. um, on their creative work and, uh, yeah, it's, I never know exactly what's going to happen. Right? right. Yeah. And I, I love getting these little messages from a field as people kind of feel their way into whatever else happens next. And yeah, I hope you get to interview Mary Wufel. I hope so too. Yeah. I really hope so. I've asked a few people, who are just my friends, just like, should I, should I even try? Should I do it? And they're all yeah. like, yeah, you should definitely try. Of course you should try. Of course you should try. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'll try. She's coming to town next Wednesday. So I'll be there. See what happens. And so will she. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. <laughs>